go to uh, Joppa. And uh, Cornelius, a Gentile, is sending a delegation down to Peter. And before they get there, Peter, the uber-religious Jew who's become a follower of Jesus, goes into a trance and he has a vision. Now, what on earth does that mean? Well, I mean, the obvious thing is uh, God is saying to people, do not be vegan. I just thought here in Roselle and Valmain, that would preach really well, you know. I think, uh, no, no, it's fine if you're a vegan. Uh, God still loves you, even though you live in clear disobedience to his word. That's actually not the main message of the text, I hasten to add. But what is it? What, what's going on? Animals coming down on a big sheet and eating and cleanliness and all weird kind of stuff. Well, uh, the only way to make sense of this little story is to understand its place in the whole big story of Christianity. So that's what I'm going to do in the next 15 minutes. Uh, I'm going to unpack for you and tell you the entire story of Christianity from beginning to end. And in the doing of that, I'm going to give you a framework to understand the story of your own life and actually understand and critique uh, all the stories we tell each other about how the world works. So, okay, maybe 20 minutes I lied. 15 is going to be pushing it. Okay, so every story has a structure. We're storied people, and uh, stories have a basic structure, and the Bible has the structure, and our lives have the structure, and I'm going to show you the structure, and it'll help you locate this story and make sense of everything else that goes on in your life. So uh, I'm going to need, it's complicated, so I need everyone to attend, focus. Four big words are going to come up, and, uh, and I'm going to get you to repeat them after me, just so that you know exactly what they are and you get the pronunciation right for when you drop this off at, uh, at, at you know, cocktail parties and other sophisticated gatherings when you talk about the meaning of life, okay? So here's the first step in a story. Uh, can you all say after me, oops? Okay, oops. Every story has what in the, in the literature is called an inciting incident, which is your story starts... And then something goes wrong. Oh, my goodness. Something has happened. Something's, there's an oops, right? Uh, in the Bible story, the way the Bible starts is God makes the world and it's good. That's how most stories start. And he puts us in it to look after the world in partnership and uh, loving relationship with himself and with each other. And it's great. It's fantastic. It's brilliant. Adam and Eve chilling out in the Garden of Eden, having gin and tonics, talking with God about the day's work, just hanging out, having a brilliant time. They're naked. They don't know any shame. It's just perfection. It's glory. It's beautiful. Oops. What's the oops? Well, two chapters in, uh, Adam and Eve eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is another way of saying, uh, God, we'd rather run the world without you. You know, we've checked it out. We're pretty smart. Uh, and, and actually, we think we can make a pretty good go of this ourselves. And, and we appreciate all you've done for us, God. But really, you know, let us get on with it from here on. And uh, that's, a, that's an oops, right? That's a, oh, no. You know, anyone reading a story, you know what it's like. You're watching a movie, you're binge-watching Netflix, you're eight hours into it, you know, episode 10 of season eight or whatever it is, and, and they all have this, oops, something. Oh, no, they didn't do that, did they? Oh, they, they touched that thing. They told that lie. They got on that plane. They, oh, no. 
It's like, oh no, it's, it's gone wrong. Like, oops, 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 oops. And actually, uh, the whole of the rest of the Old Testament is a way of helping us understand the oops. <laughs> that actually we've messed up the world. The oops means now for you and I that we're actually all a mess. Um, there's a, there was a great book in the 70s came out by a guy called Norman Vincent Peale called I'm Okay, You're Okay. Has any, any of you read that? Actually, it wasn't Norman. It's I'm Okay. So here's a better version. I'm a mess, you're a mess. Like, we're a mess. Uh, and, and the oops, the oops of, of trying to run life without God has sort of polluted everything, right? It's like if you're upstream in a river and you, you drop some pollutant in upstream, it kind of gets into everything downstream. So that choice in Genesis 3, that upstream choice to say, oh, I think I can do life without God, that kind of just messes up everything. Now, it doesn't mean that everything's as messed up as it could possibly be. It just means that nothing works as perfectly as it ought. And everything's kind of broken. Uh, and so what God then does with the rest of the Old Testament is he sets up a system to help his people understand what's gone wrong, to understand the oops. You can't pretend it's not there. And this system is the system of the Torah, of the law, and of the sacrificial system. And so here's an overview of, of the book of Leviticus and Exodus and uh, contemporary Judaism and all the laws around that. God divides the world into the unclean and into the clean, the impure and the pure, the profane and the holy. And he does that symbolically in the book, in, in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. He says, I'm going to weave these symbolic divisions into every bit of Jewish life so that they learn the lesson of the oops, that the world's polluted, that it's impure, that there's, there's stuff's gone wrong, and that it touches every part of life. So the, uh, the, the purity or holiness codes of the Old Testament uh, are designed so that in every area of life they realize, ah, the impure can't come into contact with the pure because the impure contaminates the pure. And, and, it, and, and you've got to deal with the oops, because the oops messes everything up. So it's everything. It's, it's not just your food. It's not just that you can't eat prawns. It, it touches the kind of clothes you wear, how you do your economics, how you care for the poor. It touches your sexual relations. It touches your family relations. It touches your worship. Everything is uh, shown in the Old Testament to be... Uh, part of the oops, <laughs> uh, to be contaminated. And the point of dividing the world between clean and unclean is that, that actually what you've got to do is you've got to limit the oops by not letting the oops come into contact with anything clean. And, and if you think about it, this is the way it works today still, isn't it? Like, um, weeds grow faster than flowers. <laughs> Gossip is easier than words of affirmation and encouragement. Lies are easier than truth. Tell it right. Um, stealing is easier than hard work. Until you get caught. Um, uh, in, you know, infectious diseases go from the, the infected person to the healthy person, which is it's sort of obvious, right? This is the way the structure of the world, the oops flows and contaminates everything. It's not like, oh, 
you've got a cold, you get a cold, you, you've got this cold, uh, and you know how you heal a cold? You go and you cuddle up to someone who's really well. Imagine if it worked like that. That'd be extraordinary, wouldn't it? But of course it doesn't. You get a cold, you bring it home from work, you cuddle up to your spouse, and then they get it, and they give it to your kids, and then your kids are sick, and then you've just recovered, and your kids bring back something else, and they infect you, and you're in this wonderful spiral of continual cross-infection, and that's the way the world works. That the impure affects the pure, and none of us, this was the point of the holiness codes, actually, none of us, none of us can ever actually separate us ourselves from the oops. We're all caught up in it. We all collude in it. We're all greedy. I mean, it's easy, isn't it? I mean, I, I love this. It's like, you know, financials, the royal commissions we've had are a great example of this. Uh, you know, that we, we look at... Um, we look at bankers and other people in financial services and we go, oh, they're terrible people. But, you know, no, no, they're, they're just greedy. And who amongst us isn't greedy? Oh, it just contaminates all of us, right? We just, ah, we're just like pigs wallowing in mud. Okay, you know, it's just there. Everything gets. So it's an oops, right? It's an oops. Uh, and the, the problem then, <laughs> actually, so you say, yeah, the the, the, the contaminated, uh, the unclean contaminate the clean. And then what happens, though, is actually that pollution, that oops, kills us. So this is the real problem, right? It's not just that it's bad, but it's not that bad. The problem actually is, in the end, it contaminates us and it kills us. It, it, all, it all undoes. Entropy kicks in. The world is just sort of being picked apart. And that's, that's the real oops. <laughs> I'm a mess, you're a mess, and death is the logical, inevitable endpoint of the oops. <laughs> and we can't, we, can't, we can't get away from that, can we? We can try, but it doesn't work. You can't actually get away from that. That's what the whole of the Old Testament tells us. So we've got a problem. I'm a mess, you're a mess. Now... What's going to happen next in the story? It's time to learn your next big word. Oops. Say after me. Yuck. Yuck. What does that mean? Well, it gets worse, right? Every story, oops, oh no. And then you think, okay, maybe it's not that bad. And then it gets worse. And it gets worse and it gets worse. So in the Bible, what's the yuck? Well, the yuck, how is it shown to get worse, is in the following way. God, you would think, as the great hero, protagonist of the story, might come and rescue the people from the oops. And, and, and it looks like he's going to do that. So how does he do that? Well, he gives them this whole, this whole sacrificial system and this whole system of obeying the Torah and the law, and he chooses his people, Israel, and he says, I'm going to be your God. Here's all you've got to do. You've, you've just got to... <laughs> You've just got to not be evil. You've just got to not redo the sin of Adam and Eve. You've just got to not step in the oops again. And I'm going to be with you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to show you exactly how you should live. That's all you've got to do, people. And the yuck, the yuck is this. But what becomes clear over 1,500 years of trying is that religion 
morality, self-improvement, rules and guidelines applied to us from the outside cannot actually solve our deepest problem. It doesn't work. The yuck is that as much as God helps his people and brings his law and his word and his love to them, it doesn't help them. In fact, the yuck is the law that is given sort of actually serves as a bit of a kind of a magnifying glass on the problem. It just makes it so much worse. It shows how bad it really is. It's a bit like... Um, uh, many people think they're quite good morally, right? You might think to yourself, oh, you know, Mark, I'm really not that bad. Not like those banking executives, you know? Not at all like them. Certainly not like the priests in the previous Royal Commission or the scout leaders. or the, I, don't, I don't fiddle with little kids. I don't steal lots of money. I'm not that bad. It's okay. That's the oops. Yeah, you're bad, but you're not that bad. The yuck is this. Here's an experiment if you don't think you're that bad. You, know, you can only get away with it because you haven't really been tested. <laughs> So here's the test. If the standard of, uh, of kind of full flourishing of humanity is, is what? Is to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? Try doing that just for a day. Like be ruthlessly, brutally honest with yourself. Go for a day and just say, for a day I'm going to try and pay as much attention to everybody else's well-being as to my own. I'm going to try and be as concerned about everybody else as I am about my own. I'm going to try and act towards them in a way that will be guaranteed to bring their best uh, outcomes and flourishing. Just try that. How do you think you're going to go? Huh. I, you know, you'll realize pretty quickly that actually it's pretty yuck. It's hard. It's impossible. You see, even if you start to do okay for the first hour or two, which, by the way, assumes you haven't seen any of your family for breakfast, but that's another story. Um, so you do, you're doing okay, and you're, oh, yeah, I am, ooh, you know, I, Mark said I couldn't, but I can. I'm loving people. I'm thinking about them. Not like these other people out there. They don't get it. They're not nearly as good as me. They're just selfish, unlike me. Look at me. I'm actually smashing it here morally. Now, of course, you're not because you're becoming full of pride. And your pride cuts you off from other people and is a profoundly selfish, self-arrogating uh, stance. And now, actually, even in your successes at thinking about others, it fuels the demon of pride inside of you, and that actually makes you selfish, and so you're stuffed. And then if, what if you fail? Oh, woe is me, I'm a worm, I can't love people. Well, you know, even in your depression about your worm-like moral failures, that's a profoundly selfish place, isn't it? Who cares about your moral failure? You've got to love and serve other people, right? Oh, but I can't. I'm all, it doesn't matter about you. But you can't. So you're either going to be full of pride or you're going to be full of despair, both of which are profoundly selfish. You're stuffed. So am I. Yuck. Like the external imposition of self-help, of religion, of morality, can't actually deal with what's gone wrong. Uh, Jesus put it really well. 1,500 years of an experiment in addressing the fundamental problem of humankind by the application of an 
ethnically determined external uh, religion and experience of God. And this is where we got to in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus, addressing the religious leaders of his day, says this, Are you still so dull? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. This is the problem, Jesus says. The real yuck is not out there. The real yuck is here. The reason that you do things that are untrue is because in your heart you are a liar. The reason that you, you steal is because in your heart of hearts you are a thief. The reason that you gossip is because in your heart of hearts you are a gossip. Your, the problem, the demon, the brokenness, the oops is internally placed. And, we, and that's why we can't get away from it. That's why we're so stuck, isn't it? Does that, does that make sense? Like, so think about it. How, how much does this not shed light on our contemporary culture, right? Because every culture knows there's an oops, and every culture has stories of how bad it is, and then starts to bring about some solutions, right? Um, but it's, the, the, the yuck is so bad that the solutions our culture has don't work. So, for example, 1,500 years of religion doesn't work. And in case we missed that point, the Royal Commission shows another 2,000 years of religion doesn't work either. External religion in institutions can, are every bit as corruptible as, and evil as any other institution in the world. So priests uh, can, can sexually assault children. Um, just being religious doesn't address what's in their hearts, right? But you say, oh, okay, so religion's bad. We don't, we don't like religion. I get that. So what do we like? What's going to fix the problem with the human heart? How about education? Education will fix the problem, won't it? I mean, that would mean the smartest, best educated people in the world would be the most moral, loving, other person-centered. If, if that was true, you'd never have any problem with plagiarism at universities, would you? There'd never be any sexual assault or misbehavior in any of the colleges at our universities. I mean, women and the vulnerable would be completely safe from any misbehavior because people are being educated, right? Yeah, sure. We know it doesn't work. We know it doesn't work. Education. Oh, well, you say, okay, not education. Um, what's going to change us? Well, Wellness. Every Sunday morning, I drive down Darling Street to go down to St. Mary's for the 9 o'clock service. And as I drive down at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning, there are all these religious acolytes are going to special places of worship in their, in their special distinctive dress, carrying their special equipment, going into Lululemon in their active wear with their yoga mats. Uh, and they are going to address what's wrong in the world by stretching, keeping mobile, learning how to meditate and relax. And does it work? 
Well, eventually you discover stretching doesn't work. So then, then you go, what you've really got to do is lift weights. I mean, really you do. People, you know, muscle mass declines. You gotta, you're just resistance training. It's all about weightlifting, right? But eventually, you know what happens? That doesn't work either. Because guess what? Wellness, fitness, health, looking after your body doesn't work. Because the problem is in the heart and we're all going to die. Like, listen, man, you are deteriorating. Right, right in front of your eyes, your body is wasting away. You will be gone in a flash. So, mate, go, go keep, try and keep yourself looking beautiful. By the way, for those of you who are young here, I always say this to young people. I say, if you're like between 16 and 20, 22, say this is basically as good as it gets for you physically, you know. You're as good looking as you'll ever be. <laughs> it's all downhill after this, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because <laughs> the problem is the heart. The yuck is in here, right? So we try therapy, the great religion of our day, counseling and therapy, which is wonderful. Big fan of counseling, big fan of therapy. But counseling and therapy doesn't change your heart. So we have a problem. The problem is very deep. It's really, really deep, according to Jesus. So what's the next stage in the story? Say after me. Aha! Aha! The aha is, as we read the Bible, we see that God actually has a plan to deal with what's gone wrong. And this is in any story. Once you're immersed with how bad it is, you start, the hero steps into the story. You go, oh, this is what's going to work. This is how it's going to work. And in the Bible, you know how it's going to work? Well, God steps in and he says, I have a plan to clean up your heart from the inside out. He says, and it doesn't involve external rules and laws. It doesn't involve not eating prawns. or um, it, It's about what God is doing. And he says this, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Immediately after this vision, this trance, Peter goes to a bunch of Gentiles who are not clean in religious terms. They're like you. He says, I'm Jewish, I'm clean. You're Gentiles, you're unclean, you're impure, you're haram if you're Muslim, you know. Um, and, and now these Gentiles, they've become followers of Jesus. And God speaks to Peter, the ultra-religious Jew, and says, listen, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. He goes to the Gentiles and he goes, Ah, oh, holy moly, God has just made the Gentiles clean. That's what it's saying. That's the whole point of the story. It's not about eating meat or eating prawns or keeping kosher. Or It's about God is cleaning up the Gentiles because he's changing the hearts of people. He's changing the hearts of Gentiles from the inside out. That's it. That's what he's in the he's in the cleansing business. He's in the cleansing business and he's going to do it for all and for any who trust him irrespective of their religion or their ethnicity. So, uh, if you read the, later on the story, um, verse 34, um, Peter in the midst of these Gentiles says, "I now realize how true it is that God doesn't show favoritism." But what? God accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what's right. He says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. This is the aha. Aha. Maybe this is what God is doing. In Jesus, he's come to fix up the problem of the human heart that nothing else could address. It's amazing. 
He says, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Jesus is God's great aha. Jesus is the great hero who comes into this world to address everything that's gone wrong with you and everything that's gone wrong with me because he's going to get to the heart and he's going to change our hearts. And he's going to do it paradoxically. Uh, this is not a new thing. He's going to do it in fulfillment of the, the longings and the promises of the Old Testament. You see, how does Jesus ultimately fix the problem of the heart? He does it by suffering and dying for us. By, by taking on himself the consequences, the inevitable death that is the outworking of the oops and the yuck, Jesus, Jesus takes on the oops and the yuck and in his dying and rising becomes God's great aha. Isaiah 53, the prophet said this, speaking of the coming servant of God, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. The death of Jesus is God's great aha that heals us, right? Because it addresses the problem of our hearts because Jesus says, I will die to take away your heart of stone and give you my heart of flesh. I will die to take away everything that separates you from God and open you up to a whole new relationship. I will change you from the inside out. God has a plan to clean us up. That's the great aha. But it doesn't end there. There's one last word in this story, isn't there? Every story has this. Yeah, oops, it's bad. Yuck, it's worse than we thought. Aha, I see. Here's the solution. This is fantastic. And then, yeah, oops. Yeah. Just a, Yes. It's like those of you who watched the footy yesterday afternoon. If you're a follower of the ABC code of AFL, you know, anything but Collingwood code of uh, football supporting. Yes, the West Coast Eagles winning in the last couple of minutes. You go, oh, that's fantastic. Yes, yes. Not that I'm actually that mad at footy, but it was a great game. So that's it. There is a, a cataclysmically wonderful finale coming. And we see that here in verse 43 of this text. Uh, it's arrived, right? Uh, it's arrived that um, all the prophets testify, testify about him that everyone who believes in his name receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That, that when we come to Jesus, the, the slate is wiped clean. <laughs> Every bit of impurity that comes from your heart, that has polluted and messed up every bit of your life, all that is now taken care of. That's, that's the yeah. And then you get filled with the Holy Spirit. That's even more of a yeah. The end of God's presence has come on Jew and Gentile alike, and it's extraordinary. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And then you get baptized. Yeah, Winnie, you got baptized. Because you're now in the family of God. The problems have been dealt with. You've been healed. You've been restored. The kingdom of God is in us now. And we are in the kingdom now. And your story will have this grand epic ending. 
God's great yeah is your hope and my hope. Nothing that you and I can do. Nothing that you and I can do can unwrite that story. Can rob us of that ending. Because God loves you. And he died for you. And he embraces you with his love. And he changes your heart to make you a person who has the same heart of Jesus. And then he says, I have a, that's it. It's the hope, right? Isn't that amazing? Oops, yuck, aha, yeah. And don't we need that? Ah, don't, and isn't it comforting that it's not about anything I can do or you can do. This, this aha and this yeah is not because you and I are good or moral or Christian or religious. It's because God loves you and gave his son for you and gives you a new heart and wipes your sins away and gives you his Holy Spirit. Yeah! And if I didn't get it because of what I've done, I can't lose it because of what I'll do. And that's extraordinarily good news. Because I'm a mess, and you're a mess, but we've got a great Savior. We have a great God, and He's done a great work for us, and God knows we need that hope, don't we? Because we know that the institutions of our world let us down, and the people let us down, and we let us down, but here's the truth of the Bible. God will never let us down. So let me ask you this. Is this the ending? Is this going to be the ending of your story? Is God at work in your life? Have you opened your being, your very being, up to him and said, yuck, the, uh, the yuck is too big. Come into my life. Forgive me. Give me a clean heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Yeah, is, that, is that your story? Let's pray. Our great God, uh, thank you that you appeared to Peter and drove home to him the wonder of this story that now, uh, Jew and Gentile, uh, slave and free person, male and female, rich and poor, smart and not so smart, and, and everyone, anyone in the world can come and have their deepest problems and challenges healed through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I pray for us as a church family that we will live in the power of God's great, yeah, that we will be people of hope, that we will be of all people brutally honest about our mess and others' mess, but extraordinarily hopeful because of your love and grace. And we just commit ourselves into your hands and pray uh, for the filling of your spirit that this might be lived and real in each and every one of us. And we ask in your name, Lord. Amen.